We're Luke chapter 3. Get your Bibles out. Are you ready to listen fast? <laughs> I hope you will. we got a short time. we got a lot of things to cover this morning. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? We're in the book of Luke. That is the third book of the New Testament. It's written by a physician. God used the human author of Luke uh, to write this particular book of the Bible and the book of Acts. We're in chapter 3. And uh, God inf infused and inspired Luke to write about two people thus far in our book primarily, and that is John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the Messiah. John was a sinner. But he was elected by God to be used to prepare the Jewish people for the Messiah. Lots of things we can learn there, and we have many principles I have enjoyed learning from the book of Luke. Our time will not allow us to review heavily. But suffice to say that in chapter 2, Jesus comes as an infant. And when we end chapter 2, uh, he is uh, 12 years old, and he goes back to be with his mom and dad in Nazareth after a visit to the temple. And he submits himself for the next 18 years to be with his mom and dad and to work in a carpenter's shop. In chapter 3, Luke opens the chapter with letting us know what time it is now in history. Now, Jesus is no longer 12, he's 30. John the Baptist is 30 years and six months older than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's six months older. The time now, it was Caesar Augustus when he was born, is Tiberius is the world leader at the time. Pilate is in charge of Judea as an extension of the Roman government. There are three tetrarchs who oversee three divisions of Israel at the time. There are two men who have been given the job to be the high priest, Annas, who's the dad, and Caiaphas, who's the son. They're both little pawns of the, of the Roman Empire to connect with the Jewish people and keep peace in Jerusalem. They're corrupt. There's challenges. It's a dark time to be a human being, but especially to live in that season of life. But in the darkness of the night, God brings the light of the world that would come into uh, the world at the time. The Bible tells us now in Luke chapter 3 about John the Baptist. He now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and with the Holy Spirit of God on him, leaves the wilderness where he had lived, for his growing up years, spent a lot of time in solitary. Now it's time for him to come and begin talking to people about the Messiah. He's preaching in the wilderness, and people are going out to the wilderness to hear him preach. He is preaching along the Jordan River between Galilee and Jerusalem. But folks from both regions are coming to listen to him preach. And he's telling them the time's come. The Messiah is on his way. He's alive right now. And if you believe that, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. And he would baptize people. And thus they called him John the Baptist. With that in mind, he now is preaching. And he is preaching tough messages. He's not, put, he's not uh, beating around the bush. He's hitting them right in the snot box. He's telling them, hey, listen, I'm serious. This is a serious time. And you need to turn or burn. <laughs> You need to get right. And if you are right, show fruits that are meat for repentance. If you, say you're, if you say you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, then live like it. And he is preaching to them, and he says, Now, in a short time, the axe is come to the root of the tree. 
God's bringing his Messiah and judgment is coming to the house of God. And they say, well, you know what? Hey, we're Jews. Our father is Abraham. And he said, look, if God wants, he can make, he can make kids of Abraham, his kids out of rocks. It's not your position. It's not how you came into this world or what family you came in or how you managed to, to get into uh, the Christian faith. He said, now it's time to put up or shut up. He's given it very strong to them. Let's look at the message if we can, please. We'll look at verse number eight. He says, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say with yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also is the ax laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which is bringeth not forth fruit. If you're not going to have fruits of repentance and you're not going to live like you're supposed to live, is hewn down and, and uh, cast into the fire. I think primarily it's, it's, it's God's dealing with. He's bringing judgment. I want you to read verse 10 with me out loud. Would you read that with me? Everybody who has a Bible, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. Are you ready? And the people ask him, saying... All right, so now they heard the message, and it's time for the invitation. But he doesn't start the invitation, they do. They say, John, whoo, that was some rough stuff. That's hellfire and brimstone. What should we do? They ask a question. By the way, everybody who hears a Sunday school lesson, reads a devotional, hears a message in God's word, you ought to ask yourself the same question. What should I do? To whom much is given, much is required. And just like Paul on the road to Damascus, once he found out who was talking to him, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Every one of us ought to ask that question. Every college student, every high school boy or girl, every senior adult, every married, every single, every visitor, every regular attender, everybody ought to ask himself, what am I supposed to do with what I hear? This is the interesting thing about this, and I need to use it as a springboard this morning. But they said, what do you want us to do? What should we do? That was the general consensus of just the common person who heard John speak about the coming of the Lord and a focus upon Jesus Christ. That was what he was trying to do. He said, look, the ax is laid. It's getting down where the rubber meets the road. It's time to get serious if what you believe, then live it out. Okay, and they said, what, what do we do? Would you look at what he says? This might surprise you. Would you read verse 11 with me? Are you ready? And he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath, and he that hath meat. Hmm. So they said, our hearts are convicted. We need to live it out. What should we do? And he says, if you got two coats, Find someone who doesn't have one and give one of them to him. If you've got more food in your cupboard than you need, you have enough to feed yourself, find some extra food that you have and use your surplus to help somebody else who doesn't have any food. Wow. That he, he took them right to money and possessions. He said, I want to talk about your clothes that you have and your surplus in your food. This is a far different day than today, but many people will go to bed hungry tonight in this world. You won't and I won't, but many will. You've got plenty of clothes in your closet and I have more than I can almost fit in there. Having to move things and put it in there. 
There are some people in the world who don't have even an inkling of what we have. And when people asked John, okay, man, boy, there's a lot of conviction. What are we supposed to do? He took them to money, possessions, and eternity. He said, look, the first thing you'll do is to take the extra you have and share it with somebody else. That's what you'll do. You got two, give away one. You got extra, share it with someone else who doesn't have it. Whoa. Well, there was a second group who asked him. Let's see what they say. Verse number 12, would you look at it if you would, please? Then came also the publicans to be baptized. They believed and they wanted to follow the Lord in baptism. They believed that John was saying the truth and they said, you know what, we agree with that. He said, well, then get baptized. By the way, if you're saved, you should get baptized. You don't need to get baptized to go to heaven. It's not a necessity for salvation. It's not a payment for sin. It's a picture of salvation. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. If you've been saved, you need to get baptized. If you're not baptized yet, and you can be, you're supposed to be. But these people believe, and they came to him to get baptized. Now notice what they said. Then came the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? What do you know about the publicans, friends? They were the tax collectors. They were the extensions of the Roman government to collect the taxes primarily from the Jewish people. It was Zac Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Remember him in Luke chapter 19? It was men and who, who, and really, quite frankly, they, uh, they weren't honest. They were known to be skimming extra. If they, someone owed $25, they say, you owe $35. And they would say, no, I think it's just $25. It's $35. And then they would have two soldiers beside them that would say, it's $35, sir. And they would take and pay they were supposed to get paid out of the 25, and yet they actually increased it more so they could get more. And uh, these guys came. Their hearts were convicted. They said, now what can we do? And he said, well, he said, um, you want to hear what you need to do to get right with God and to make serious your things? Let's look what he says to them. Verse 13, would you look at it? Read it with me. And he said unto them, that no more, he said, quit stealing from people. He said, don't take more than what you're required to take. If, 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 the, if the Roman tax is $25, we'll take the $25 and quit adding more to that and capitalizing on that and making more for yourself. Don't do that. Of all things he could have said to me, he could have said, read your Bible. He said, be more faithful to the synagogue. He could have said, I want you to be nicer to people when you collect their taxes. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to... Quit skimming off the people. Quit capitalizing on other people. Quit being um, dishonest in your finances. Well, that was the whole group said, hey, what do we do? He said, well, take, if you got more than you need, learn to give. If you're being dishonest with your finances, stop doing that. Well, then another group came. Look at verse number 14, would you please? And the soldiers... These are the soldiers who had listened to John the Baptist preach. There are many soldiers who represented Rome, and some represented the Jewish people that were soldiers. These have been some of the same guys who would have been asked to go get Jesus three years later whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. These were men who had listened to him, and, but their hearts were pricked. And he said, likewise, the soldiers demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man. Neither accuse any man falsely or extort money because of someone falsely. 
And then would you read the rest of it? And B, and the people were in expectation and all the men mused in their hearts whether John, he may be the Christ or the Messiah. I think this is very interesting. And I, I think if you look at the Bible, and I encourage you to look at the Bible, the number one topic of the Bible is love. From beginning to end, love is God's favorite concept. He's holy, but God's soul loved the world. God is love. The second most popular thing that God talks about in the Bible is money and possessions. 2,350 times. More than faith and, and, uh, and prayer are mentioned combined. He talks about money and possessions. 15% of what Jesus said in, the, in, the, in his actual words revolve around money and possessions. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I've got just a short time to talk to you. But everybody thinks about money every day. And God knows that about you. Matter of fact, he says, where your treasure is, your... What do you treasure? What do you treasure? A.W. Tozer gave four questions you could ask yourself to find out what your treasure is. I'll repeat what he says. It's what you value most. Whatever you treasure is what you value most. It's what you would least hate to lose. It's what your mind goes to when you have moments where it's not thinking about anything. That you most frequently, your mind goes to when you think about something, that's what you treasure. The last thing he said is it, it's, what, uh, it's what affords us the greatest pleasure. Now, many of us would say, oh, no, that's my, that's my mom, that's my dad, that's my brother, my sister, that's my wife, that's my husband, that's my kids. And we may go to a relationship, and maybe that would be number one. But a, definitely a second, a close second, is going to be money. We think about it every day. Jesus, in the most powerful preaching message I think ever recorded. It was the Lord Jesus who preached on the Sermon on the Mount. You can read the entire sermon beginning at Matthew chapter 5 and end in Matthew chapter 7. And he gives the way he wants us to think in the kingdom of God. He starts off with the blessed uh, Beatitudes. He talks about several things and then he comes to chapter 6 right smack in the middle of those three chapters and in that sermon he says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he tells us real quickly in that passage of scripture there are three things in regards to finances that all of us do we think about. Number one we have three there's two treasuries. Everybody has two places you put money. One place is here in this earth. The other place is in heaven. There's two places. Please don't talk to one another. If you want to talk, go ahead and leave and, and talk outside. Don't interrupt folks around you if you would please. And I'm not, I'm not that all important, but I'm talking about something very important. Listen if you would please. But number one, two treasuries. Number two, two ways of looking at life. Two perspectives. Number three, two masters. And all of us have to figure this out in our life. 
Now, some of us, you come to church and we talk about money and you get uncomfortable real quick. You don't like it. I had someone today tell me, Pastor, all you talk about is tithing and soul winning. Every sermon's tithing and soul winning. That's because you're not doing either one of those, okay? I don't think every sermon is tithing and soul winning, but it might be. I don't know. It's not on purpose. But what I think people who tithe and soul win probably say, Amen. Bring it on. But when it gets on your little nerve and you got one nerve and it's all over it, it gets on your nerves, right? That makes me your adversary. But I don't think you, and I'm nothing like Jesus, but I don't think you'd like to hear Jesus either. He spoke about finances. He, he even watched people give their offering. Can you believe that? Boy, if our usher even looks your way, you're like, hey, look, pay attention over there, man. I'm putting my offering upside down. Come on. Jesus stood there and watched people give. He invited his disciples, 24 other eyeballs, to do it. Oh, a lot there, yeah, boy. Then a little mite thrown in there, and he said, she gave more than they all. Well, that's a head scratcher. What are we doing watching people give the offering? We, I want to teach you a lesson here. By the way, God always watched me give the offering. <laughs> he, he knows. You can keep it a secret, but you're not, you're not a secret with him. They tell us that the average born-again, professing born-again believer gives less than 2.4% of their income to the Lord. More people tithe who make 20000 than people make 200000 The more you get, the less you give, percentage-wise, as a general rule. Most people, when they get more, they raise their standard of living, and they lower their standard of giving. There's something weird about that. I had a man argue with me about that not too long ago. Not argue, but he just said, oh, it's rough now, man. I'm, I'm making good money. It's hard to tithe. I said, why don't you go back to what you are making? Maybe easier for you. No, I don't think I want to do that. Same percentage. Many folks, when it comes to giving, they stop at nothing. Folks have convinced themselves that tithing is not, it's not their responsibility in the New Testament age. And I just, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to argue with you, but I just think you're crippled too high for crutches not to do that. I, I, I was talking to Linda this morning. We were joking about our giving, and, and she said, I said, well, yeah, maybe we ought to just cut it in half. She goes, John, that would terrify me. No, we're not going to do that. Just joking. So God has been so good to us to be faithful to the Lord and giving through us what he cannot give to us. We ought to be more aggressive in our day. You know, Jesus did not say don't invest. He, did, he told us to invest. He says lay up for who? Yourselves. He just says don't invest all your marbles into this life. He said, don't invest. Why? Because everything in this world can be captured by thieves, corrupted by rust, and consumed by moths or fire. Why would you do that? Years ago, there was um, a war in our country, one of the most bloody wars have ever existed in our country. It's called the Civil War. In the Civil War, we killed more Americans than any other war in our history. Tragic, isn't it? It was motivated by greed, by sin, as all war is. War, someone said war is hell, but it's not hell, but it certainly is created in pride, and only by pride cometh contention, sin, and greed. And that was no exception. 
But you know, in what we had, we had the North, the Civil the North, and we had the Confederate South. But you know, the truth of the matter is, God wants to invest in things that will last forever. And you know, this pastor wants that for you too. See, you can only take three things to heaven. There are three things that are eternal. God's eternal. His word will never pass away. So his word is eternal. So anything we do for God, that's eternal. Anything we do for his word, sharing it, giving it, providing it, paying for it, that's eternal. And then people are eternal. I love this building, but this building is going to melt with a fervent heat one day. I like where I live, but that old house has been there 107 years. Uh, it was built in 1915, but that house is on its way down. It's never seen so much activity as it has in the last 10 years. But that, that house is going to melt with a firm heat. You can get the nicest car, get you a Tesla. Get you the most beautiful automobile that man can bring to you, and it's going to be a piece of junk in 60 years. Probably faster than that. Anything we have in this world, go, it, anything we have in this world, we hold in our hand, we lose it. Anything we give to God for His purposes, for His word, and for His kingdom of getting the gospel out, see, Pastor, why would you invest a whole month talking about money and possessions and missions? Because that's eternal. And where your treasure is, there your. Many of us, we don't have a heart for God. It bores you beyond tears to look at these missionaries. I mean, yeah, it's entertaining, okay, a little bit about them, but you don't give a rip about that. You know why? You have no skin in the game. You have no interest in that. Folks, you, you, you could be there on a Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night of the conference, and I'm not here to browbeat anybody, but the reason you're not is because you have no skin in the game. You're not really interested in that. You'd rather watch something on television. You'd rather just sit and relax and, yeah, you got to be careful. All that stuff. When you could get to a place. But, you know, people, God wants your heart. Solomon said to his son, my son, give me your heart. I think God wants the same thing. But, you know, he'll never get your heart till he gets your, your money. In closing, I'll just give you three things. And this is just very practical. Number one, you want to realize that God gave us everything. Nothing you have. Life is a stewardship. You'll manage your money, I'll manage mine. And we'll all give an account to God. So you're a manager. You're a manager of what God's given you. Number two, you ought to try to live on less. That's just my encouragement to you. I think Jesus would give you the same thing. He said, I want you to find out where you can live. You know, people who live on $25,000. If, if you got $25,000 a year from the age of 25 to you till, till 65, you retire. You're not talking about any raises. We're not talking about any kind of a, of a hospitalization or insurance or fringe benefits you might get at your work or any bonus you would get. Just $25,000 a year from 25 to 65, you will manage a million dollars in your lifetime. But you need to learn to say, okay, when is enough enough? What do I really need? And then create some surplus and give generously beyond that. God honors generosity and giving. 
He condemns greed and selfishness. I think you cannot read the Bible without God telling you basic principles. God owns everything. Giving is a must. Work hard. Live contentedly. If you're in debt, ask God for the wisdom to get out of debt. If you're not in debt, stay out of debt. Teenagers, they start sending you these, these credit cards. Oh, you can spend this. Stay away from that. Don't get yourself in debt. Debt creates additional masters. Learn to be a funnel, not a bucket. It just amazes me. When John the Baptist preaches a hard message at the end of the day, they say, what should we do? He said, be generous with what you have. What should we do? Be honest. Quit stealing from people. If, you're, if the Bible says, him that stole, steal no more. Quit. By the way, if you're stealing from God, stop it. Say, how can I steal from God? You spend everything he gives you. You divide it by 10, and you take it to the church. You commit it to the Lord. You don't give it to the church. You give it to the Lord through the local church. Stop stealing. What about us? We're soldiers. He said, don't do violence to any man. Quit, quit, exhort, uh, quit uh, extorting money and be content with what your wages are. Quit going around complaining you don't get paid enough. Live with what God's given you and figure it out. Three audience, ask him what to do after a fiery message, and every time he pointed them back to finances. Do the study. Come back with me. Tell me why you think he did that. You know why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also.